This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Thursday, December 16th. Coming up, Missouri will redraw its eight congressional districts next year, and some Republicans believe the new map will look a lot like the current one. Plus, how Kansas City is planning to keep homeless people safe from cold weather this winter. But first, some headlines. The Kansas City Council has a crucial vote today on new boundaries for its six council districts. KCUR's Lisa Rodriguez reports redistricting has sparked a fierce debate over how to divide the two Northland districts. An advisory commission recommended splitting council districts one and two horizontally, generally along Barry Road. That's a radical change from the existing vertical boundary. Advocates for the horizontal split argue it will give low-income residents south of Barry Road better representation and a greater voice by consolidating them in one district. But Northland leaders, including Councilwoman Teresa Lohr, say they already invest millions more in infrastructure dollars south of Barry Road. I think if we put that line at Barry Road, it's going to be horrible up there. You're going to have a shift in diversity. You're going to have a shift in wealth and, and non-wealth. The vote will determine council districts for the 2023 election. A Jackson County jury has awarded $4 million to a transgender student who was denied use of the boys' locker rooms and bathrooms at his Blue Springs middle and high schools. KCUR's Dan Margulies reports. The verdict came six years after the student who graduated from college last week sued the Blue Springs School District and Board of Education for sex discrimination. Madeline Johnson was one of the student's lawyers. He was very excited, very happy. He felt vindicated. The case had a tortured history. A judge dismissed it in 2016, and the Missouri Court of Appeals upheld the ruling. But in 2019, the Missouri Supreme Court reinstated it after finding that it's illegal for employers to discriminate against people who don't conform to a specific gender category. The damages are among the largest ever awarded in a case regarding bathroom access for transgender people. Missouri lawmakers will return to Jefferson City next month for a task that only happens once a decade, redrawing the state's eight congressional districts. Most of the controversy surrounds districts that include suburban St. Louis and Kansas City. St. Louis Public Radio's Jason Rosenbaum reports on what the Republican-led legislature might do. Congressman Emanuel Cleaver of Kansas City says he's well aware that some Republicans want to transform the 5th district that he represents from a heavily Democratic outpost to a safe Republican seat. He says the main reason behind that scenario is that the GOP wants to retaliate after Democratic legislatures in Illinois, Maryland, and New Mexico have shown no mercy toward Republicans in the redistricting process. Even though somebody might win, you know, politically, man, that is just dynamite powder of uh, laying on a political table representing our future. For the first time in Missouri's modern history, Democrats will not control a branch of the legislature or the governorship during congressional redistricting. And that presents a very real possibility that the GOP could go after Cleaver. But many Republican legislators are wary about radically transforming the 5th District. GOP leaders believe that strategy could backfire and make two heavily Republican districts in the Kansas City area more competitive throughout the decade. State Representative Jason Chipman of Steelville contends that the final map will have two Democratic districts, Cleavers and Congresswoman Cori Bush's St. Louis-based 1st District. Sure, there will be some pressure to try to make it 8071, whatever, 
uh, you want to come up with, but I don't see it really being much different than 6-2. Democratic Senate Minority Leader John Rizzo of Independence says his Senate Democratic Caucus will have more leverage than expected, especially since Governor Mike Parson did not call a special session on congressional redistricting. They could use the filibuster to bring the 2022 session to a standstill if Republicans seriously pursue a map that would make the 5th District into Republican-leaning territory. Our, our job is, is about as laser-focused as you can get. We need to, at the very least, maintain the two seats. And I think that we will be able to have a lot of opportunity to make friends across the aisle that are interested in that as well as uh, their seat being uh, where they want it to be. Republican State Representative Mike O'Donnell of South St. Louis County says the main conflict of the redistricting cycle may have more to do with how to change the second district that Congresswoman Ann Wagner represents. There's no question her St. Louis, St. Charles, and Jefferson County-based district is going to get more Republican-leaning, primarily because Bush's first district has to expand into Democratic parts of St. Louis County. You know, we've we've spent a lot of money in that in that seat to retain that seat over the years, um, and you know, make that that seat a little easier for her. The big debate could be over whether to add more of St. Charles or Jefferson County to the second district. St. Charles County Republican Senator Bill Eigel contends that his fast-growing county deserves a solid chance to send a representative to Washington. I think there has definitely been a move to try to put all of St. Charles in the same district, and this might be the fine. This might finally be the year in which that happened. So, uh, and that makes sense because as being part of the largest stronghold in the state, you want St. Charles to have that voice if you're a Republican. But there are a lot of obstacles in place for St. Charles County to get its own congressional district. Republicans may want to place more of Jefferson or Franklin County into the second district, as opposed to more of St. Charles County. One other storyline that Minority Leader Rizzo is watching is whether two-thirds of the House and Senate approve a provision to make the map go into effect right away. If they can't reach that threshold, then lawmakers may have to move the August 2nd primary, since people can't run in congressional seats that don't exist. Rizzo says the fact that's even a possibility is part of a recurring theme where GOP lawmakers appear enamored with brinkmanship. It, it could be apocalyptic. Just like not last year, not funding our, our, our hospitals would have been apocalyptic, just like not expanding Medicaid, like the people voted for the state of Missouri would have been apocalyptic. And the Republican majority in Jefferson City has seemed to get pretty chummy with apocalyptic scenarios. Missouri lawmakers will return to the Capitol on January 5th to begin the redistricting process in earnest. I'm Jason Rosenbaum. Coming up, details of Kansas City's extreme weather activation plan and how it's intended to help people who are homeless. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This is Kansas City Today. UMB Private Wealth Management is a division of UMB Bank that tailors financial planning services to help you maximize your assets and protect your legacy. Everything we do starts with you because there is no one-size-fits-all financial planning strategy. Your UMB experience begins with us taking the time to get to know you and understand your financial goals. Then we customize a detailed yet flexible plan that helps you achieve them. At UMB, your story is always our focus. Learn more at umb.com slash wealth hyphen management. 
This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Exposure to cold and damp conditions can be dangerous and even fatal. That's why Kansas City and community groups built a plan to keep people who are homeless out of the cold this winter. On Up to Date, Kansas City 5th District Councilwoman Raina Parks Shaw told KCUR's Steve Kraske about the city's extreme weather activation plan. So let's get into the details of the extreme weather activation plan. What is it and what's included in this thing? So, Steve, the uh, winter extreme plan actually is a comprehensive collaborative strategy that uh, the city coordinated with all of the uh, shelter providers and stakeholders, those who are serving the houseless population, to establish um, somewhat of a triage system that will allow us to really work in tandem to help those who are experiencing houselessness. Um, there's certain triggers there. When the weather gets 30, is 32 degrees or below and stays there, then uh, we implement the plan. And as the shelters, shelters are maximizing their capacity or if they're at their max capacity, then it triggers additional steps where the city then, uh, after that process, uh, after they reach max capacity, then the city will establish uh, and open uh, community centers uh, as though as the need arises. And this is the first time, the first year that Kansas City's implementing this thing. That's correct. Yeah. What prompted the city to come up with this extreme weather activation plan? So the, the ultimate goal is really to minimize loss of life uh, and injury to our houseless individuals. We know that with the pandemic has really forced many people out uh, on the streets. And so our goal really is to work together to try to minimize loss of life. Uh, as you may recall, we had the Bartle Hall Warming Center last year, uh, which really showed a great need. Mm-hmm. And, and we continue to have that need. And that idea worked pretty well, right? It did. It worked pretty well. But but this year we are taking the lessons learned from Bartle Hall and just making an even better and more collaborative process than we had last year. Is Bartle Hall even in the mix of potential places for the houseless to go? No, it is not. Uh, and for, for good reason, because we actually have events that will be in Bartle Hall. So it will not uh, we will not be able to use it this year. So bottom line it for us then, Councilman, how better prepared are we this winter compared to previous winters when it comes to our houseless? We are ready. We're more ready than we have been before because this isn't something that the city typically has done. The city typically hasn't engaged at this level. And so I'm very comfortable and confident that we are ready uh, to move forward and assist those individuals who need it most. How supportive is the houseless population when it comes to this plan? So I believe that they're, they are supportive. Uh, we have actually conducted surveys with them. Um, as we know, the it, shelters are not a one-size-fits-all. Uh, finding housing is not a one-size-fits-all. And so we try to engage them to determine what are their specific needs, what are the reasons why they wouldn't want to go to a shelter. And for those individuals who uh, maybe a shelter is not the right place for them, we actually have uh, outreach teams that will actually be taking warming supplies, hats, gloves, coats, uh, those things to them in their encampments or wherever they are uh, to help keep them warm. That's one thing that struck me about this issue over the years is that so many folks who maybe aren't really deep into the weeds on it think it's a fairly simple problem to solve. And to your point, the needs of the houseless are varied and different, and it's not one size fits all here. 
That's correct. Every day there you find new and different things. And so that's exactly why I've taken the approach to let those experts who have been doing this for years and those houseless individuals to guide us in the plan that we're developing. Are we modeling this plan on any other city's plan? So we have done a, a lot of research and there are some uh, plans like we just uh, approved a navigation center this past week. And that was modeled after a plan in California, uh, a navigation center that will actually house um, up to 100 individuals in 39 rooms. It's a transitional living process that mm -hmm. has seen some, some success in other communities. So we we uh, still shamelessly, as, as I like to call it, if there is a plan that we've seen that works, we try to to see how we can uh, finesse it to make it work here in Kansas City. Well, there's no shame in that, is there? Yeah. Talk about this online dashboard that tracks shelter availability, Councilwoman. How, how does it work exactly? Mm -hmm. So it, it, excellent example of the collaboration that we are seeing with all of the shelter providers. Um, every day at noon, they provide their bed availability, and it is posted on the city website uh, for all of us to be able to utilize, which as I said, is a trigger for us, for the city, to know when we need to uh, expand and open an, an additional shelter. Last year, one of the lessons learned was we had no comprehensive data or no way to know how, what shelter beds were available. We had to call each one individually. So this is a proactive step to allow us to be able to be more proactive in and understanding when we need to expand and, and offer more shelter space. And any resident of the city can see that dashboard is what you're saying? That's correct. They can see it on the kcmo.gov. But it's not just for them. It's also for our uh, outreach teams and for our uh, other service providers that are looking to place individuals and, and find them emergency shelter. How concerned are you that maybe on our coldest nights this winter, there's going to be zero, zero, zero up on that dashboard when it comes to available rooms? So actually, we we expect that to happen. Uh, we expect that we will get to our max capacity. Unfortunately, we know that there are more people that are experiencing houselessness now, which is why we are working to implement a uh, a phased approach so that we can be ready when that when that occurs. Are the numbers going up? So, yes, the, ro the, the numbers are going up. And what we are looking forward to is our point in time count, which we will be conducting this winter. That's to, an annual event, right? That's correct. It's an annual event, an annual count where they try to estimate the number of, of homeless individuals in the community. But we know nationwide uh, there, is, there are more individuals that are and families that are experiencing houselessness. Any sense of what's causing that? Well, you know, I think definitely the pandemic, you know, there was so much um, uncertainty with individuals' jobs. Um, I know, you know, individuals struggling with daycare, and, and I think it's just the downstream effect of the pandemic. Councilwoman, did it take us too long to get to this point? Uh, you know, being the, the newbie in the in the room, I, I don't want to uh, discredit any any work that has has been done previously. Right. I think, you know, that the time calls for us to to act. And so we are doing that, you know, and I don't want to be mistaken to, and say that you know, this is the answer to everything. I think we are making some good first steps, but we have a lot of work to do. I am excited about the fact that we're doing it together. I believe that together we can really make a significant impact for those individuals that are experiencing houselessness. That was Kansas City Councilwoman Raina Parks-Shaw speaking to KCUR's Steve Kraske. 
This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This podcast was produced by Byron Love and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. For more on redistricting in Missouri and homelessness in Kansas City, visit kcur.org. As always, you can catch Kansas City's NPR station live on the radio at 89.3 FM. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow.